Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It always worries me when Judd has his smirk on, and he's got it on right now. What up, Judd? My diminutive partner is now golfing in Florida. What up? Arizona two weeks ago, Harrigan, is that right? Yeah, sounds right. Now he's golfing in Florida. What a little twit. I'm an idiot for being here. <laughs> Collar's in for Mackey. Just for being here? Well, it goes deeper than that. A lot of issues, Dave. He's so mean. I know he is. He's just a jerk, but that's okay. Town straight away for three, drills it. And with that three, Towns has now set a new career high for Mason downtown for a season. That is his 102nd of the year after notching 101 last season. This is a big win, big win, you know, to, to do what we got to do, to, to, to do something special. We needed this win. You know, the people are right behind us. Uh, so we just got to keep pushing through. Now, Collar, this is, Matthew, your second full year here. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Are you aware? Are you aware of the significance of what happened last night at Target Center when the Wolves beat the Clippers? I am. Okay. For the first time since the 2004-05 National Basketball Association season, the Minnesota Timberwolves, at the very at the very worst, are going to be a 500 team, and that would mean that they have to lose their last 10 games. In other words... With a schedule that still includes playoff-eliminated teams like the Knicks, the Grizzlies, the Hawks, the Mavericks, the uh, Grizzlies again, the Minnesota Timberwolves are almost assured of being a team that finishes on the positive side of 500 since 2004-5. How, how old were you in 2004-5? Both of you. I would have been uh, graduating from high school in 2004. I was a couple years out of high school. I was 20, 21 years old. Entering a community college. Yes. For my illustrious collegiate career. Do you guys want to hear the opening night lineup that year? The 2004 yes, Five Wolves? Yes, I do. Do you want to hear yes, who they put on the floor just, just to get a perspective on how long ago this team? And by the way, that was the that was the first year of the 13-year streak that we're in right now where they didn't make the playoffs. Remember it well, Judd. Okay. They so the opening night lineup that season, 2004, and that team finished 44 and 38. They played the Knicks on opening night. Kevin Garnett. He was good. Latrell Sprewell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feed his family. Wally Zerbiak. Yep. From Sam- downtown. A hero of nice mine. Nice hair. Still beautiful hair. Sam Cassell. Sammy C. Michael Olo Candy. Oh, the candy man. The Knicks that night, 
The Knicks that night, Jamal Crawford celebrated his 38th birthday on Tuesday. He's a marvel, right? Jamal Crawford. How do you keep doing it, Jamal? (laughs) Do you mean how do you keep going on the Scoop podcast? Well, that too. Yes, exactly. Jamal Crawford was a 24-year-old who started for the Knicks that night against the Wolves. Wow. That gives you some perspective on how long it's been. Not since they made the playoffs. That goes back longer. But since they finished a season on the positive side of 500, congratulations, Timberwolves. Congratulations, Timberwolves. But also don't blow this, Phil. Like, keep doing what you did last night, please. And I imagine we're going to talk more about Andrew Wiggins last night. We will. That was absolutely fantastic. The Western Conference, though, is still tight. You still have to keep winning. The Wolves have basically the same record as the Jazz. They're a half game up. And they're still holding off the Nugs. The big win, though, to get it against the Clippers, who are better than I think they were expected to be this year, especially after losing Blake Griffin, but a team that still is competitive and plays pretty hard. Uh, you're going to have to hold them off over these last couple of games. So sure. being over 500 is nice to end that massive streak, which is astounding that that could happen in pro sports. Um, but if you botch, well, really not. If you botch yes, this, you've got your Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I mean, and your Buffalo. Astounding Bills. might be strong. Uh, when over half the team or half the league makes the playoffs, yeah. it's astounding. It is. Yeah. No, it is. It, I mean, it would be like in hockey if a team went this long. It would just seem impossible that you could ever go that long without making the playoffs. Even like the Carolina Hurricanes, it's been a while. I think it's been since like 08, 09. And still, that feels like forever. Mm-hmm. But if they don't make the playoffs here, if they fall apart, which I now am more confident that they won't, but if they do, then I don't care about 500. Now, now during th- this eight-game stretch, which started, uh, if I am correct on this, it started against Portland, and it ended last night against the Clippers, and it included eight uh, at least competent to good teams, you went three and five. Not, and Dave, Not what- great. Did Phil and I both say if you win three games in that stretch, it's a success? I I think I asked you in questions before the stretch, yes, what do they need to do, what will they do, and you both said they need to win at least three, and they they could do that. Now, it didn't start out well. No, it did not. It got to speculation that they'd lose all eight after the first couple of losses, but yes, they, they took three of the five. So they beat Golden State during that stretch on a Sunday. They came back, I think, on the next Tuesday, Matthew, and they beat Washington, and then last night they beat the Clippers. They're... Five and five without Butler so far, which is not terrible. And now, with 10 games left, you've got the Knicks, the Sixers, the Grizzlies, the Hawks, the Mavs, the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Grizzlies, and Nuggets. So, of that list, you've got two teams that are currently in the playoffs. The Nuggets are in the race in ninth place. The Lakers aren't eliminated yet, and Denver also is in the race. But the point being is, you shouldn't blow this now. Yeah, you shouldn't be able to, and it's the wolves, so they might. But this, if you got through that eight-game stretch, collar at three and five, you should be able to get through this next stretch with at least five or six wins. So here's what I wonder about this team and this stretch without Jimmy Butler: if they're learning something about themselves with Jimmy Butler away, maybe learning how to win a little bit more. Andrew Wiggins maybe learning that if he tries to play like that more often that he is a superstar caliber player. Maybe Carl Anthony Towns realizing that if he takes over in the fourth quarter, he is unstoppable. And last night hitting threes from downtown at the line, double digit rebounds. I mean, everything that you could ever ask from Carl Anthony Towns to do, 
he did last night. And maybe, maybe because this team sort of, even though they were chance, winning. I think your chances of being right are probably more on the side of Towns. Yeah. Where Towns, yeah. I think what Towns, I think what the, the Butler absence has done if you're Towns, is, is it goes back to what we talked about a couple weekends ago, which is he has to be empowered to say, Jimmy, you're really important here, and defensively, you're great. And and as far as I'm concerned, you are our veteran guy. That being said, I need the basketball. Right in the fourth quarter, I need the basketball too. I think that 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 becomes the most important thing is what has Towns learned? Because Butler playing hero ball in the fourth quarter is going to make no sense with Cat on the floor. Right, right, and and they can share those responsibilities sure. because I'm totally fine with Jimmy taking over if he's feeling it, but. Towns is one of the most efficient shooters at his position already right now of all time. He is one of the best shooters at his position ever to be a center. And that's a guy I want to have the ball when it comes down to the fourth quarter. And and so maybe that he did take that away and maybe this team did learn to gel a little bit and not rely so much on Jimmy, even though they haven't done a ton of winning since he's been away. But going through something difficult like this and then getting him back... You hope that they're a little bit better of a team because of it. More Wolves futility through, through the years. So this uh, this streak of being below 500 started in 2005-6 and went through 2016-17. In that time, gentlemen, this franchise, in those 12 seasons, this franchise managed to go 316 and 652. A winning a winning percentage. I'll go slow here because the numbers are 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 hard to process. A winning percentage in 968 total games in 12 seasons of 326. This included this included such such killer back-to-back seasons as 2009-10 when you went 15 and 67. 2010-11 17 and 65. The most wins you've got in a single season, David and uh, Matthew, during this 12-season period was 40. When you went 40 and 42 under Adelman, if I'm not mistaken, in 2013-14. Just think about that for a second. You had a 12-year period where your franchise won 316 games, lost 652. This franchise has now played, played 29 seasons. Seven have been over 500. There is an eighth where you were 500 exactly. You are near your 30th anniversary. And oh, by the way, every one of, of your eight playoff berths came consecutively. From the time you started until you made the playoffs, you had that period. Then you then you turned the corner, right? You made the playoffs eight consecutive years. And so you're thinking, okay, now it's going to be good. You missed the playoffs in 2004 or 5 and have not made it since. And this is exactly why I know and I'm very aware of how frustrated people can get with Tibbs. But considering the recent history, to, to lead this team to relevance and feel like you have a competitive club here, to get Jimmy Butler, who was really the <laughs> franchise changer, he's the one that did that, 
you have to give him credit for those things. I, I know that there are some moves, and the Derrick Rose move is baffling, and of course he tweaked his ankle. I was going to say, because, we've got Derrick Rose I mean, news. Did you guys have a a, no. a, a, a poll on that of like what day yes. he would tweak his ankle or knee? I, I have a write-that-down that said he would miss a game by a certain date. And <laughs> it might be past that date. I'm, yeah. I might have been wrong. But nonetheless, yes, there was a definite, we said he's going to get hurt before long. And of course. Sprained ankle. Of course. It was coming off the two times he had actually looked like an NBA basketball player. His first couple of appearances were abominable. And then last night, he puts up nine points in a couple of minutes. And you're like, oh, hey, Derrick Rose's play. Oh, and there's an ankle tweak. I mean, it's just Derrick Rose's career in just this little section here of showing some potential. And I know he's an MVP, but just past those years. That's a long but time like ago. Every I, yes. time he's made a comeback, it's always been, oh, okay, maybe Derrick Rose is back. No, he's hurt. And that's exactly what you end up with now. But I will apologize for a lot of things that annoy people about Tibbs and even me sometimes because he has them as a relevant team. And this city's cities has been desperate for this basketball team to be good. 316 and 652 over a 12-year period. Also, by the way, Jeff Teague. Can we just admit that Jeff Teague's a pretty good basketball player at some point? Oh, no, no, no. Because that that would be an indictment. That would mean that we don't love Ricky, and we love Ricky, Matthew. You you have to see. That's the thing about us. That's what you, you need to get this. If we now admit that Jeff Teague is good, we're cheating on Ricky. <laughs> that means we're cheating. That's where we we have a real problem because if we love Ricky, how can we adopt Teague? Right. And Tyus, too. You hate Tyus if you think that Jeff Teague is good yep. also. You lo- yep. I discovered we, this. We love Tyus. We love Tyus. And, and we're still loyal to Ricky. And therefore, if we side with Teague, we are we are cheating. That's, that's us. That is Twin Cities... Minnesota sports fans, in a nutshell, is if you love a guy, you can't adopt the next guy. And they're both going to be in the playoffs, it seems. Utah's uh, Mm -hmm. rolling. I feel really good about where the program's at. I feel good about our culture. I feel good that we have a system in place that everybody graduates. I feel good that we have a system in place where the players understand the importance of how you act and what you do and how you represent the University of Minnesota hockey program. Don Lucia uh, stepped down and broke during our show yesterday, and we talked plenty about it with uh, Chorsky on the Tuesday program. Let me give the Gophers a big round of applause. That is a big round of applause. Here's why. Is that just a single person clapping, or is that a round of applause? Do you need more than one person? It's No, no, no. But here's why. This is where the press conference, the press conference can be helpful. Right, Collar? You go to a press conference, mm-hmm. sometimes you learn. Yep. But the press conference can also be dangerous. And here's why. The Gopher Athletic Program yesterday did a fantastic job of, by the time you heard Don talk, and, and, and congratulations, great career, two national championships. But by the time Don got done talking, you were convinced that it was completely his decision to step aside, <laughs> that he had not been forced out, that there was nothing to see here. Um, Mark Coyle, his boss, basically sat there and smiled the entire time as Don took control of the whole press co- conference. And he's almost 60. I get it. There, I'm sure he's thought in the last five years quite a bit about stepping down. But there is no question in my mind that they, they missed the NCAA tournament, Matthew, for the second time in three years. And mm-hmm. they brought Don and they probably said, 
let's work something out here, right? Yeah. By the time the press conference got done, you thought to yourself, this was all on Don's turn. This was real. <laughs> oh, my gosh, they didn't fire him. The press conference can be very dangerous because it can mislead you a lot of times. Well, and that's the way that he deserved to have it handled, though, right? After all that sure. he's accomplished here. To just gas him and say, sorry, he's fired, he's out of here, underachiever, leave. That would be not des- of what he deserves for the success that he's had. Yes. So I appreciated that but it part was, of it. But it was a mutual, I would call it a mutual agreement to part ways based on the fact that it was time for a change. I think if all sides had got up there and been completely forthcoming about this thing, they would have said after 19 years, Don did a fantastic job, but we've all decided, including the school itself, yeah. it's time for a change. By the time I departed, I thought to myself, man, this Don just walked in and decided I'm done. <laughs> it is. The press conference can mislead. And one more thing. Mark Coyle, I understand behind the scenes you're really good, I guess. I guess you're you're great, and that's fantastic, and people like you, and that's great, too. But one of these days, when it comes to a presser, you're going to have to at least own the room a little bit. I'm underwhelmed at every turn here. Mark Coyle, to me, seems like a really good administrator, a really smart guy. And I think we're talking about a guy who was who was a number two or three guy for a long, long time. And in that, that role, he's great. But I am yet to see him conduct a press conference where I'm impressed. And yesterday, he sort of just let Don. And it, it was fine, because Don's a class act. And, and he's media savvy, and he's smart himself. So it worked. But my point being is, whether it be the Gopher basketball pressers, mm-hmm. this one, at some point in time, own the room just a little bit. Like, let's let, make it look like you have to be there. Mark Coyle could have said, here's Don, gotten up, waved to us, and walked off. That's not your AD. That's not what I want. I want an AD who, and he doesn't have to be a dynamic presence at every presser. I'm not even saying that. But once in a while, if it's an important presser, have a presence. There's just no presence. There's no presence there. And this goes back to the Lynch press conference, which was a complete disaster. And, And there were a lot of people blamed for that. But ultimately, guess what? You're the guy up there taking the questions, reading the statements. It's up to you to say, no matter how bad the rest of my crew might botch this, I'm going to own this thing. And it just doesn't happen. I think that's where it would matter much more to me than something like yesterday. It, yes, it does. But what I'm saying is I've never seen it yet, including in mm-hmm. important press conferences. Yeah. And and the Lynch press conference was a disaster. So, yeah, they deserve credit for yesterday's. But yesterday's was probably pretty easy because the feelings were mostly, ah, well, too bad he's got to lose his job, but it's the right move. That That's how the general feeling is. But when you're talking about the crisis management. It, right. The Lynch thing could not have been handled much worse. Has Mackey's least favorite player in this town turned a very important corner? We'll discuss next. Mackey and Judd, which is actually today's Zolgan and Collar. And as always, we're in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackey and Judd are back. Man, that sounds good. On 1500 ESPN. Wiggins was awesome tonight. He, uh, yeah, that was a a great all-around team performance. I thought Andrew made several hustle plays. He scored the ball. He made good decisions. Um, he played a great all-around game. We found the key. Mackey has to leave town. <laughs> Wiggy's fine if Mackey just leaves town. The box score last night. Oh, man, was it good. 27 points, 9-16 of 16 from the field, 
four of five on three pointers. Yep. N- not necessarily always a strength. Uh, made all five of his free free throws. Also, not necessarily a strength during the uh, 2017-18 season for Wiggy. Three rebounds, all defensive. Uh, three block shots, a steal. Andrew Wiggins, we have found the absolute key. Send Phil golfing to Florida, and Andrew is absolutely fine. And oh, by the way, he also, I guess, got a a raucous ovation from the crowd in the third quarter. Uh, he was bringing the ball. He had the ball, uh, I think, at midcourt. Rivers stole the ball from him. Yeah, and then he stole it. And back. then he restole it. Yeah. And yeah. got a huge ovation. That was an, a very impressive play. I got a new name for him the tease. the tease. Andrew Wiggins yeah. is the tease. Because is this real? Or was this a game in which he was motivated to play hard? And now the next three games, he's going to go back to being the guy that can drive us crazy. I think it's very much like. Uh, baseball player who has one month a year where he hits 10 home runs or a hockey player <clears throat> Charlie Coyle who will have a seven I game the same thing point this morning. streak and I then the same disappear thing. that the only thing you can do at this point is instead of just fighting the guy and ripping him every time he's not good just accept that he's going to be bad or he's going to be fantastic. And that is Wiggins' career, I think. And I don't know that it's going to change at this point. I think you probably get to a certain age where you just kind of are who you are throughout your career. And if you have a role player, and this is where it gets difficult because he's going to be a max contract guy. But if you have a, a role player who every once in a while shows up and wins a game by himself by absolutely dominating like he did last night... That's okay if you don't pay him a max contract. Mm-hmm. And that's where the frustration comes in, is that you, when you have a max guy, you want to see that every single night. I'm just not sure that that's ever going to happen. What he did last night, though, is maximizing every bit of the potential that was there when he was drafted number one overall. And I think it's fair to be frustrated that that hasn't happened on a nightly basis. And even Taj Gibson after the game. I saw Jace Frederick, who's coming up with us in a few minutes. I saw he tweeted out the quote that Taj Gibson was like, "Yeah, that's what great players do all the time." Not, oh, it not was just some. Of it the was time. a definite sort of slap. Yeah, it was. It was, it a, def- was a super yes. backhanded compliment. Yes. So, so I feel like from sitting in the studio so many times and listening to Phil talk about Wiggy that I've become somewhat biased against him, and there is certainly a lot that drives you crazy. But tell me this: as a guy who watches a lot of basketball himself. What would make you happy? What should make us, knowing his personality, what should we say, you know what, for a max player, I guess I'll take that. Is there is there a happy medium here? Because I just don't see this guy ever getting it to the point of, of where we see nights like last night on a regular basis. I think they're going to happen, and he certainly has the talent. But what should we settle... M- might not be the right word, but it might be. What should we be happy with? Yeah, I think that that's the biggest problem and the biggest holdup is always going to be what the contract is and, and how much you're being asked to to pay him to keep him around. That's the, the biggest issue. What you need from Andrew Wiggins is for him to be aggressive and to attack and to play with effort and be engaged all the time, which may be a really hard thing to do over 82 games. Although I would say this. Andrew could go a long way because this la- this game last night at home, it's against a team that's chasing you. It's a big game. 
and he shows up. And there was a game, I think it was against the Warriors, that was on national TV, and he showed up, and he played extremely well. Yeah, now, if you, the Sunday game. If you get into the playoffs and he plays like this and Butler is back and Towns is taken over in the fourth quarter, you have a chance. Now you're probably going to be like a seven seed or something. So now you have a chance to make a really competitive series out of it. And he could go a long way by playing like this for seven games in the playoffs. That's what people want to see on a nightly basis. And that's how good he could be over an 82-game season, he could be one of the better players in the league if he played engaged all the time. And and I don't know that that's ever going to happen, but for me to justify that contract, it's not about the stat line necessarily. It's got to get more efficient. But you see him with three blocks and a steal and effort and hustle. And, like, where have these things been on a consistent basis from you? And what's frustrated me the most is, is I felt like when Butler was playing that Andrew, because of his personality, doesn't know his role, which is a bad Mm -hmm. thing. I'm not excusing it, but I, but Butler and to a certain degree, not the same towns are uh, dominating personalities that Andrew sort of got lost. And so when Butler went out, my point was, this is the time now to assert yourself. Yeah. If you are Wiggins, assert yourself. They've gone uh, five and five so far in the 10 games without Jimmy and Wiggins has probably had, well, two come to mind last night for sure, the Golden State game. Yeah. And he's probably had a third game that where he has asserted himself. But far too often he doesn't. Now, when Butler comes back, I don't know if he's going to now go back to being the same guy who either you could say defers or you could say just sort of gets confused about his role. And he says, well, Jimmy Butler does this and that. Um, but... This all this all comes back to last night should not be that difficult to replicate mm-hmm. in terms of, to your point, hustle. I realize your shots aren't going to always fall, and, and I realize that you can be a, a smarter player at times, but when it comes to hustle, there is no reason why we can't see this on a really consistent basis. Well, and I, and I need hustle, and I also need smarter play on the offensive end. What drives you crazy about Wiggins is that it'll look like he just ruins the offense, that he'll take the ball and just go one-on-one with somebody and pull up for an 18-foot jumper, which is the most inefficient shot in basketball, and usually miss. And that's like a it's a Kobe Bryant shot, it's a Michael Jordan shot, but it's from a different era. I mean, now you're either trying to get to the hoop or you're trying to hit it from outside. And last night, he hit it from outside, four for five for three. And when he's at his absolute best, and we've seen him do this for stretches, he drives to the hoop. And yeah. I don't think there's anyone who could stop him and the goal, and, because he's so big and, and the he's, he State, jumps so high. Jace asked him after the Golden State game, because he was terrible against Boston the Thursday before the Golden State game, and Jace said, what changed? And he said, my shot was so bad against Boston that I decided to drive towards the hoop. And you wanted to say, Andrew, you should always right. drive. And, but he also somewhat laughingly said, I love my shot. You, yeah, it's yeah. at well, that point you say, you, you, you don't get that. Like, yeah. you don't, Andrew, you don't get it. Shot. It's not a great shot. And furthermore, what you just said, I think is true. If he drives to the net, if he drives to the hoop, he's going to either get A, fouled, mm-hmm. or B, he's going to get there. And, and there's not enough foul shots per game. For a guy that well, should right. should be going to the hoop, there were all what the time. five last night, I mean, and that's one of the things that with Kobe Bryant, you know, when you look at his shooting percentage, or, or Iverson was this way too. Ah, uh, well, you know, his shooting percentage is a little low for a guy that's shooting so much. 
Right, but he's shooting 15 free throws a game, and he's hitting 80% of those. Wiggins this year is 65% from the line, and he's barely getting to the line at all. Since Jimmy went out, I have the numbers from Andrew Wiggins. Okay. First of all, he's shooting 45% for three, which is really good, and it's small sample in 10 games, but that's that's much closer to what you want from him, and he's shooting 48% from the field. The, those numbers are great, averaging 21.4 points per game and shooting 72% from the line and uh, adding three rebounds to assists. That's where you want Andrew Wiggins to play. If he was playing like this all the time, we wouldn't have a big problem with him getting a max deal. And he showed us all that potential last night. I just try to live in reality with these things and say, if he just gives you those games, some of those games in the playoffs, and if he gives you 20 or 30 of those games a year in the regular season, it's still not going to equal the contract, but it will help you win. And, and you could just appreciate that and say, great, thanks for tonight, Andrew, and now we move on and know that we're going to have to carry you tomorrow. The most important step now is when Butler comes back, him defining his role. That's going to be that's going to yeah. be the next step. Not that he starts to defer again and says, well, I'm the third wheel and I can't. It's yes, yes, you are the third guy, but you are going to have to have the confidence to define a role. With Towns, I have no doubt he can do that with Andrew, I look at him and I say, I don't trust it. So let's do this. Let's take a break. Come back. Jace Frederick covers the Wolves for the Pioneer Press, covered last night's game. We will talk to him next. The show is Mackie and Judd Collar in for a fill today. We're in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Give each other $20, okay? Put it on Underhill. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Wiggins was awesome tonight. He, uh, yeah, that was a, a great all around uh, team performance. I thought Andrew made several hustle plays. He scored the ball. He made good decisions. Um, he played a great all-around game. Jace Frederick of the Pioneer Press joins us now. Jace, did I hear that right? Did Tibbs, was, uh, did Tibbs just praise a player? And not just a player, but Wiggins? That was uh, a little bit off the charts when it comes to the Wolves coach. I will say this. Uh... Wiggins might be the one player that Tibbs has went like out of his way uh, to praise all year, and I don't know if that's because the narrative on Wiggins has been kind of down. You know, he hasn't shot the ball very well this year. He hasn't really scored it that well. He hasn't done a lot of things that well. But Tibbs always goes out of his way. Whenever he like praises Towns, he says, "And Wig was great too." Even if you look at the box score, and Wig was not great. Uh, but so then last night when Wiggins really does play well on both ends of the floor, really makes a positive impact. He was effusive uh, in his praise. Uh, so. He earned it last night. I'll say there there are nights where he doesn't. Uh, he he definitely earned the praise last night from the coach. Do you think that that's Tibbs just trying to take the approach of encouraging him, especially through the media, because he it doesn't feel like Wiggins is the type of guy who would take it very well if he ripped him. I, I just think he's you know I, I think they're kind of like stuck with this is our core and like we need to keep Wiggins positive and yeah I, I guess I guess I kind of agree with you on that. I mean. They need to keep him going in a positive direction, and if he thinks that's the best route, uh, being positive and, and trying to keep him, you know, like in a positive mindset, maybe that's the way he does it. But it, it is—it's very noticeable that that he never like praises Towns or somebody else without throwing Wiggins in there, regardless of performance. How do the Wolves uh, go about getting Andrew to uh, assert himself at least a little bit when Jimmy comes back? Because Jason, the way I I saw this was. 
when Butler was there, and Andrew really sort of backed off, I thought. And, and then when Butler got hurt, my theory was, okay, that's going to give Wig a chance to at least get more involved, which I think he's done in these past 10 games. Uh, but when Jimmy comes back, because I have no doubt that Towns can assert himself. He can defer at times, but he's smart about it, and, and he certainly has the ability to take control if he has to. How do you get Wiggins to a place where when Jimmy's there that you we just don't see him sort of spiral into being the third guy again and he's deferring and becomes passive? It's a good question because they kind of went through this in January when Jimmy was out a few games with knee soreness and Andrew kind of took over offensively. And when Jimmy came back, he said, you know, oh, I loved what Andrew did. I loved his aggressiveness. He should be doing that whether I'm on the court or not. And then Jimmy came back, and Andrew returned to the guy who just sat and kind of sat out to the side and was not aggressive at all. And when he got the ball, he just set up for a quick jumper, and that was about it. So they need to do something different. Whatever they did last time <laughs> did not work. Um, players have pleaded, I mean, you know, to the media, and I'm sure to him personally too, to Wiggins to be more aggressive, to to attack, to take the ball to the hole, to to really kind of be himself. That they see how talented he is in practice, and they want him to be assertive, and they want to see that practice player in games. But he can't seem to do it consistently. Um, you know, last night I asked Taj Gibson after the game, like, what did you see from Wiggins tonight? You know, you, you've been somebody who's called for him to be more aggressive, you know, the last couple of weeks now. And he said, at some point you just got to grow up. Like, if you want to make the playoffs, you have to grow up. You have to do this. This is what NBA players do. So it's almost like, okay, you did this. This is what you're supposed to do. So, so do it more often. And that should be whether Jimmy's out there or not. But it's it's tough. I don't know. I think Andrew's really struggled with that being that third option all year, and he hasn't. He hasn't known when to pick his spots. He struggled to be assertive in the right situations and take advantage of his matchups. So I don't I don't know how they can get the message across to him because it's happened a few times now where Jimmy's been out, Andrew's taken over, Jimmy comes back, Andrew fades back to the wayside. And I think it's more Andrew's fault than anybody else. So I don't know I don't know how they're gonna go about it because I think they constantly preached to him to be aggressive all the time, but often to, to no avail. And what might this mean in the playoffs? I mean the the fact that all these other players seemingly are demanding him to be more aggressive. And and I I tend to think that if he went to the hoop every time, if he drove every time, that he would be unstoppable because there's just no defender who has an easy time with a guy who's 6'8 and can jump over you. Um, he'd be like Vince Carter or something if he would just go to the hoop all the time. Uh, but But could we see Wiggins, who steps up in a big game last night, steps up in a big game against Golden State, get that fire underneath him come playoff time? I think we've never really seen that version of Andrew Wiggins. I will say, I think that this little stretch here where he is now, I mean, players talk about it now, where he's looking at the standings, he's coming into games in the locker room saying, well, well, this is a big one, we need this, and they haven't heard that from him before, and his play has kind of demonstrated that urgency. Uh, prior to this stretch, I guess I thought, well, you know, the intensity picks up in the playoffs. Andrew sometimes has a difficult time matching the intensity of a regular season game. He might really struggle in the playoffs, but with the importance of these games picking up and him kind of matching that with his intensity, I am interested to see, like, okay, the lights are going to be really bright in the playoffs. You know, obviously every game's on national TV. Everybody's watching every game. Maybe he does raise his level of play to, like, a level that we haven't seen before. Uh, and in these last few games maybe suggest that. And in other previous big games in his career, you know, like every time he plays Toronto, it's a big game for him, so he plays well. Every time... Uh, he goes against Cleveland. That's a big game for him, so he plays well. So maybe it does get to the point where in the playoffs, every game is a big game and he'll play well. It, I, I thought it's more possible now than I did before um, because it seems like he has sensed the urgency of these situations. He has sensed the levity of them, and he's kind of raised his play to match it, which is kind of a, what everybody's always dreamed of. Maybe just haven't seen it enough. 
but but maybe maybe he has kind of been waiting, I guess, uh, for for these games to really reach these levels of importance for the Wolves to be playing games down the stretch that matter um, for him to to really raise his game to the level that everybody wants to see it at. Now, of course, Jace, that makes you want to uh, choke him uh, because yeah, it's because you know what he can do. Rush uh, Sprewell. One one tweet that I got was pretty interesting that uh, I'd love your your take on from Matt on Twitter. You know, DeMar DeRozan was kind of this similar sort of player, and we've seen it go both ways. We've seen guys like Rudy Gay just sort of fade into the background because they shot all the time and they were inefficient players and they were just on bad teams because of that. And we've also seen DeRozan go from an inefficient player who had inconsistencies to then a consistent all-star star player it, is the organization, are the players, are you, are are we supposed to keep holding out hope? I've kind of given up on that idea, but we are not talking about a guy who's 28 here. We're talking about a guy who's 22. So when you see last night, do you think, yeah, maybe this is there if he continues to grow and learn, or are we resigned to, hey, maybe he'll step up in the playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of think the playoffs might be a good learning experience for him, whether he steps up or not, you know, maybe getting into the playoffs and failing and tasting that failure um, and, and defeat and maybe not playing well. Maybe that's kind of what, what changes the mindset. I mean, it's tough to say because you don't really know what turned the corner for DeMar DeRozan, uh, exactly what got into his head. And, mm-hmm. but I tend to think maybe it was, you know, sometimes getting close, getting kind of that, that taste of success in the playoffs and coming up shorter where he wanted to be. And I think maybe that's something where like Andrew Riggins just seems like somebody who needs that incentive uh, maybe if he gets to the playoffs and he, and, you know, he experiences it, he likes it, he he likes the atmosphere, and then he wants to keep advancing and go farther in his career. Maybe that's kind of the push he needs to to be more consistent on a good level. So, I guess we'll see. I, I think the playoffs could be good for him. Like I said, I I think he's kind of relishing this this playoff stretch right now. So maybe by the time he gets to the actual postseason, he likes that, and that motivates him a little bit more. And maybe that carries over into the next season where he thinks, <laughs> okay, we have to get a better seed. I think that's really wishful thinking. Uh, but but I think. It'll be interesting to see at least the impact that this has on him because I've just been intrigued by this last couple of weeks and how he's reacted to the Wolves playing meaningful meaningful games. You're about to be a max player, and, and we're talking about the kid like he's in kindergarten. Well, hopefully we can get this from him. I mean, if we throw a cookie, he might like the cookie. Uh, did you ever think, Jace, in your young life, that the prospect of a team going 500 would be celebrated like this will be? Going back to 2005-06, I did the math this morning. 12 consecutive years of futility, right? The Wolves' record in those 12 years, uh, uh, since the last time that they finished above 500, 316 and 652, a 326 winning percentage. It's just amazing to me that you can be so bad for so many years with the way that the NBA lottery system was set up. It just kind of, I mean, like... Teams now, you usually tank like two or three years, and then you really start to build a core that you can get better with. It just shows exactly how many errors you have to make as a franchise, and the Wolves have made so many of them over the last 12 years, to consistently be bad and not really make any progress. Like, the crescendo they built up towards in their last rebuilding process was a 40-win season with Kevin Love, and then that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, then it was, and then it was time to come back down and start rebuilding again. I mean, it, it's hard uh, to be as inept as as the franchise has been with its basketball decisions over the last 12 years. And, like, David Kahn said, I had a lot to do with that, certainly. Um, there have been a lot of mistakes throughout, but 12 years without winning 41 games out of 82 is incredible. I mean, like, that, it, it is a stretch. I think that should be revered because it, it's harder <laughs> to do than make the playoffs 10 straight years or whatever or whatever it might be. 
I don't know. I think Johnny Flynn was better than Steph Curry. I just, he's a better prospect. That's that's all. Uh, Jace, over the next uh, couple of weeks here, what are we looking for down the stretch with the Wolves and, and how they can hold off the nugs and the clips? I don't even think it's that. I mean, you just look at the Clippers roster last night. I mean, and the guys that they're putting out there, there is no way uh, that, that the Wolves should be able to give up a three-game lead to those guys. Denver's not playing very well. Denver has a really difficult schedule on the stretch. Uh, Minnesota plays Denver two more times, so maybe that's, I guess, some opportunity for Denver. But Minnesota's kind of owned that matchup recently. I, I don't think that making the playoffs should be kind of the main goal right now. I think they should feel pretty secure, even though they're in the eighth spot, just a couple games up. I don't think Denver and the Clippers are posed too serious of threats. I think Minnesota should really be looking at at least trying to get to that sixth seed. Uh, there are possibilities to do that. San Antonio obviously still doesn't have Kawhi Leonard. Isn't that great of a team without him? Uh, Utah last, last night, after they're kind of cooling off a little bit after their recent hot stretch. They didn't play very well in a win, in a win over the Kings either. Uh, I think Minnesota should be focusing on at least getting up to that sixth spot. Um, certainly Portland's really hot, but you'd rather play them in the first round than anybody like Houston or Golden State. If you get that seven or eight, you're looking at probably a first-round series that is five games long at best. Um, if you want to actually get there, actually get people excited, actually make some noise, you have to get up to at least six, maybe even five, uh, to make yourself a real threat. I think that's what they should be aiming for. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, Jace. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Bye. Jace Frederick of the Pioneer Press covers the Wolves, actually covers a ton of stuff for that uh, sports department, so uh, check out his He's work. He's on his way to a high school basketball game right now. I believe he covered, I think he told me on his day off from the Wolves last week, he covered the uh, state high school girls basketball tournament. So yeah, a busy, today, busy guy. Uh, let's come back and uh, discuss this. Is the new catch rule in the National Football League, Matthew Collar, going uh, to work? And I'll also have to get to a weird story involving a Viking player who very well might be a hero. The show is Mackie and Judd. Matthew in for Phil today from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd now continue. No way. You can't just stroll up and be welcomed back by everyone. Hey, welcome back. On 1500 ESPN. Join Matthew Collar and 1500 ESPN at Willie McCoy's in Bloomington from 8 to 10 p.m. this Saturday for the Ultimate College Basketball Tournament viewing party, basket pong, prizes galore, a little bracketology perhaps, and the fantastic beer specials. It's sponsored by Dos Equis. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. To the end zone. Touchdown, Pittsburgh! Jesse James! I don't know why this has taken so long to review it because clearly Harmon's nowhere close to him unless they're looking at the football. Did it wiggle or anything to the ground? It looks like a touchdown to me. On the sideline. Are they looking at the football possibly losing control here? Oh, that's what it is, Jim. They don't think he caught it. Rule that Jesse James did not catch the ball. This from our uh, buddy Kevin Seifert, ESPN.com. The NFL's competition committee expected to propose a new catch rule that would eliminate the, quote, going to the ground distinction in addition to reinforcing a high a high standard for overturning calls via replay, league executive VP Troy Vincent confirmed Tuesday to the Washington Post. The requirements for a catch under the committee's likely proposal will include the receiver controlling the ball and establishing himself in bounds. There will also be instruction for officials to define a time element but it will apply both to receivers who are standing and those who You're are falling during, during the process of catching. Here's my Stop question. It. Here's my question, Mr. Film. Stop it, NFL. Here's my question, Mr. Film. Is this going to work to clarify a rule, which, by the way, I am convinced 
that Roger Goodell told the league going in the Super Bowl, we will not have the Super Bowl undone by some silly catch rule interpretation. Yeah. And that's why that Eagles touchdown that clearly to me could have been overturned was not. I think they've made the change already. And they got that touchdown right, Correct. by the way. And I was thrilled that they did. But no matter what the, Harrigan thinks, but you're right. All the stuff that you just said, it it just made my brain hurt because it's still too complicated with a lot going on there and how many seconds you can review it for and, and, and all these things. If you were going to define a catch, mm-hmm. how would you do it? Uh, I've told Mackie this would be very simple. You catch the ball. I want a what I, what I would define as a secondary move. If you catch the ball and your feet hit the ground and you now make what they used to call a football move, I call it a second move, that is a catch. So if you are hit after that, it is a fumble. If you drop the ball after that, it's a fumble. But I think if you make a move with the football, like Des Bryant did, yeah. that that is a catch. That is not, there is no, I don't care if you are, I don't care if you catch the ball, make a secondary move, and the ball moves, you have then caught the ball. So I like to go back and watch old games. This is before this catchy catch stuff got to be complete oh, it nonsense. it was a different world back it then. It really was yes. because you'd see touchdowns where a guy would catch it and then he'd fall to the ground and the ball would pop out and they would just be like, yeah, touchdown, and we'd be all set. What was the Super Bowl where that happened? There's a Super Bowl in the 70s where today it would never be a catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was watching old NFL films, and one of them really stuck out to me, that mm-hmm. it was a fantastic catch, but no way today it would have counted. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them were that way. A lot of them were gets his hands on it, takes a step, and, and he's kind of juggling it, goes to the ground, it bounces out, and they say, well, it was a catch and a fumble or something like that. And I don't need a ton of fumbles. I I don't need all these ridiculous turnovers because we can't figure out what a catch is. I think that if you get the two hands on it and you can either put it away or you can reach it out or you could take two steps, catch one, two, that, that it's that simple. And if a guy catches the ball and his feet are in bounds and he's got it in his hands, it's a touchdown. Like in the end zone, I don't want, I don't like taking away touchdowns because a guy goes out of bounds and then the ball moves a little bit. And in the if Super Bowl, we allow that to, it, to be a touchdown. Yeah. It, like with Thielen specifically, he catches the ball and he goes down and he hits the ground and it moves a little bit. That he's got the ball. That's a catch. That's the thing that would, that drives me crazy is in the end zone specifically. If it moves while you're falling out of bounds, wh- why? Why? You've got it. You didn't lose it. And that that's one of the biggest things that drives me crazy. All right, Harrigan, go ahead. What's well, a catch, Dave? You've already painted me in a bad picture. I I was fine with the rule the way it was. <laughs> I hated the rule. Everyone who said it was so complicated and what's a catch? The rule was very clear. It very clearly defined what a catch was. And whether you know, I, I'm not going to lose sleep over the new rule. I I wasn't hard and fast to you know. You must survive the ground. Ah, end zone or not, you must survive the ground. But I was okay with that. I was okay with by the letter of the law. Adam Thielen's wasn't a touchdown. Jesse James wasn't a touchdown. It didn't upset me that the rule was you had to survive the ground. I I just don't understand the consternation behind that. Yes, we like to see scoring and touchdowns, but. 
It's not like it was taken away that many. You get I a couple it's because of years. People it. get upset. It's because he's got it. Well, he, he not according to the rule, and I was okay the, with but that. But I didn't like the rule. I was okay See, with my falling like out of bounds. Rule. You can't hold on to the ball. Clearly, sorry. That maybe you should have just squeezed the ball. Des Bryant had the ball. Calvin Johnson had the ball. The Des Bryant one is the so rule, the rule. Basically, the rule was written to say they didn't, and I don't understand. Who sat down and decided? Well, that's not really a catch. Des you, Bryant was extending the ball because I think he, I think he thought he was closer to the goal line than he probably was yeah, on that play. Yeah. But he's extending a ball. He's caught, and now they're saying you didn't catch it. I was just okay with the fact that if you're making a diving or lunging catch and you're going to fall down, you're unable to stay on your feet. That you proved to me you actually caught the ball instead of it, you know, bouncing off the ground while it's in your hands and you still maintain sort of control of it. I was okay with that, but whatever. What we have here is a rare and beautiful opportunity to completely blow something up and do it only the way that we can logically determine that it should be done. And so if you ask the question, logically speaking, if a guy catches the ball with his feet in bounds, he's got two hands on it, and he falls all the way to the ground and does not lose the football, it doesn't bounce away from him, he's got it, then in all situations that should be a catch. Don't you think? I mean, if he's got it and he well, especially goes to the ground especially and falls when and... didn't we after the Rams Buccaneers playoff game? I think in the late nineties when when there was a bunch of controversy, didn't we also decide that if you have possession of the ball and you're going to the ground and the ground helps you catch the ball, that that is a catch. So it can't be ju- you can't be juggling it, but if you have the ball in your possession and then it sort of hits the ground, but you have the ball, I think that was a catch. I think it just. I think they just got the rule too damn convoluted in in some ways. It wasn't that it, it was actually written very clearly, but the clearness didn't make sense to me. I, I don't think we'll ever get to a point where there are zero debates about it. But I do think they need to avoid you know ridi- what's next now? ridiculous language about it, and they also need to avoid as best as they can. Having people not know when they watch a broadcast, sure. and then you have Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels trying to figure it out. Well, was that really the rule? Is that the rule? Is that? I mean, that that is the worst thing that they can have, and what the NFL needs out of this conversation. Okay, the Vikings' big moves certainly uh, are done. What is is left for them to do? We'll talk to Collar about that. Also, want to get to the story involving a Viking receiver who uh, this morning could be classified as a hero, at least when it comes to his brother.